Good morning. It is January 11th, 2024. This is episode 43 of the Paul Green Comedy Podcast, and we are still in the head cold episodes of this podcast. I have been fighting a cold since about uh, Sunday when I started feeling, come it, uh, feeling it coming on. You know, and I'm just pushing through. I am not letting it stop me. It's definitely slowed me down a bit, but I am still uh, sticking with my goals of producing this podcast on a daily basis, and I am still posting on social media on a daily basis. Uh, If you are uh, just tuning in for the first time and wonder who the heck I am, why the heck I'm doing a podcast, um... So my name is Paul Green. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm an actor and improviser. I'm currently living in Phoenix, Arizona. And on a more general scale, I consider myself a dreamer, meaning I have big dreams, big goals, big ambitions, and I am pursuing them as best I know how with the resources that I have while also combating my own weaknesses, my own setbacks, my own limiting beliefs, and uh, my own lazinesses and whatnot. And I decided to start doing this podcast. It's something I've been wanting to do for a while. But um, to me, for me, it's an opportunity, first of all, just to document my journey and really hold me accountable for what it is that I'm up to, because I think it is just so easy to get distracted from what it is that we really want in life. And I know for me, if I don't have a very consistent and constant reminder of what it is that I really want and what it is that I'm really pursuing, then it is very easy for me to get off track. And so a lot of this is my my daily attempt to remind myself what it is that I'm really about and what I'm doing. And secondly, I view this as an opportunity for me to, if anything, share the insights that I'm learning and experiencing as I go through this very audacious uh, dream that I am pursuing in the hopes that maybe I might just provide a little inspiration to somebody else out there who is perhaps uh, pursuing something and maybe experiencing discouragement or needs a little inspiration or just maybe uh, somebody else out there who is a voice of uh, positivity and a voice of encouragement because... I uh, can attest to there is a tremendous amount of negativity out there for anybody who tries to go for any um, goal or dream. Putting yourself out there in any sort of uh, creative sphere or any sort of entrepreneurial sphere or really anything, it just seems that we live in a world that there will always be people who feel the need to criticize and put down and be negative. And I don't know why that is the case, but that's been the case in my life. And it seems consistent with other people out there who uh, 
want to uh, dream big and go for big dreams. There's always going to be somebody coming around telling you you can't do it or telling you how the way that you are doing it is wrong or stupid or whatever. So I figured I'd take this episode here just to give a little bit more of my uh, origin story and how I ended up trying to go for this big entertainment dream of being a successful comedian, being a successful actor. And yeah, how, how that all came to be, where I'm at now and where I hope to be, what my actual dream is. So I think for me, my, my first real um, starting point or origin story would be uh, somewhere in the fourth grade is when I first remember uh, that I started to entertain other people. Uh, specifically, I remember my fourth grade class. Um, somehow I started sort of being the class clown. I seemed to be able to get my class to laugh with all number of crazy antics. And that's also when I first remember starting to learn about like comedy, Saturday Night Live, comedic actors, you know, like Jim Carrey. I I remember somewhere around there is when I discovered Jim Carrey, I think first on In Living Color, um, all of the Saturday Night Live comedians, you know, Mike Myers and Phil Hartman and Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and David Spade and, um, you know, all of those SNL comedic actors and a lot of them, you know, started doing movies around that time. I think Wayne's World. Um, I, I distinctly remember that movie coming out when I was young and um, watching that movie a ton. I could pretty much quote all of Wayne's World. Th- that all happened in my elementary school days. And for me, it was how I survived, really. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. I never felt confident in my own skin. Just for whatever reason, I had this crippling insecurity that made me feel like I was, I didn't, was it, wasn't that I didn't belong? I don't really know how to describe the feeling, but it was, it was just a feeling that like, I am not. I am not acceptable as I am. I I have to be something different to be accepted. W- whatever it was that I thought being acceptable was at the time, you know, I didn't feel like I was, you know, I wasn't a cool kid. I wasn't a wealthy kid. I wasn't, I didn't feel like the popular, cool, athletic, whatever it was. Yet somehow, I could mask that insecurity with performance. So I could perform and put on little skits for my class and find 
jokes find ways to be entertaining and I could get people to laugh. And that somehow gave me a footing as a young boy in the social situation. Um, But it all stemmed from a deep insecurity, which has never really gone away. I mean, I've, I've gotten a little bit better as I've aged, but so I was always entertaining my class. And then at the same time, I was also always involved in music. Now, what's interesting is I really seem to focus on the music throughout my uh, school career and my uh, elementary, junior high and high school. I was always in the band in high school, I was in the marching band, and I loved music, but really what I loved was the performance element of it. I mean, I was a halfway decent musician, but performing was really what I wanted to be doing. And I even told, I think it was my eighth grade guidance counselor, that I wanted to be an actor. And when I told her that, there was just something in her response that was, let's just say it wasn't supportive. It wasn't met with any sort of enthusiasm. And so even though, even at a young age, I seem to have it in my psyche that performance actually does sort of seem to be what I am geared to do. Um, I never really had any gumption or inclination that that I would be the type of person who could quote unquote make it. Um, and that was sort of the messages I was getting. And I think it's not of the fault of anybody, but I, I never had anybody growing up in my corner that was like, yes, Paul, you can do anything you want to do you can make it as an actor. If that's what you want to do, let's go all in. It was always like, oh, oh, well, um, okay, we'll, we'll write actor down. Um, <laughs> and because of that and my crippling insecurity, I, I didn't, I didn't have a, an innate confidence in myself. And then I wasn't getting external validation. And so all I was doing was led from a point of insecurity and trying to survive in this world that I didn't feel acceptable for, as I mentioned before. So I graduate uh, high school. Um, I was an active LDS member most of my life. And so I went and served on, uh, my LDS Mormon mission. I returned home, tried to do sort of the prescribed path of an LDS man. You know, I was going to college and I got a degree in business. I started selling real estate and was also performing uh, music. So I was in a, a, a professional, a semi-professional wind ensemble playing percussion, but nothing that I was doing really seemed to be 
it for me. It it just was always me just sort of rubbing against the grain. It, it just was not um it just didn't feel like what I was supposed to be doing with my life nor what I really wanted to be doing. I felt like I was always trying to um, fulfill somebody else's idea of who I should be, whether it was my religious upbringing or cultural upbringing or, um, you know, and anybody who has a familiar with, familiarity with the LDS faith, they're real big on getting married really young. They, they push that and encourage that very heavily you know you go on your remission you go home you get married you get a stable career <laughs> in a sort of nine to five uh capacity and you have a lot of children and and that's sort of the path almost i mean like literally preached that that is where happiness and joy is and and I tried to live that life or I tried to get that life. I tried to date and get married. It just never worked out for me um, for a myriad of reasons, not the least of which I never felt comfortable in a career. I never felt comfortable as a realtor or anything like that. I also had this crippling insecurity, which was very unattractive. And so I never had the confidence to really attract a wife. Obviously, you know, women are looking for a man. I'm being very general here who typically is, has the capacity to provide some security and stability. And I didn't have that because I wasn't even confident in myself. And you know, I, and it just was, it just never, nothing seemed to be right. And I just remember all through my 20s just being so frustrated and so unhappy and depressed all the time that I couldn't seem to fit into this prescribed life path that is also being preached to me as the best path and the most joyful path and that anything that isn't that path is actually somehow wrong or um, selfish or, um, you know, you know, what, whatever the messages that I was absorbing. So I get into my late twenties and there was an improv troupe known as the Gestures, which I had become familiar with. I'd become familiar with improv in high school when I actually went to go see a show of the predecessor of Gestures known as the Oxymorons. And I remember sitting in that audience just blown away by what these people were doing and just laughing harder than I'd ever laughed in my life. And there was just something there for me. But I had no gumption or no capacity to recognize that that could be me. I didn't have that confidence. I didn't have that 
self-awareness. I just knew that as an audience member, I loved, I absolutely loved what I was seeing and experiencing. And this was in high school. So in my early 20s, I rediscovered the predecessor. No, the predecessor would be the oxymorons. Uh, the gestures came after. So the the next evolution of that troupe was known as the gestures. And I remember going in seeing a gesture show in my early 20s back from a mission. And again, I had that same experience, just blown away. These people on stage are gods. I don't know how they're doing this. I don't know how they're so funny. But my my gosh, this resonates with me on a level I can't even really begin to describe or understand. And in my late 20s, I had become such an avid audience member of the Chesters that the owner, you know, knew me and recognized me. And there was a point in time where I actually got connected with them to play piano for the gestures to sort of introduce music improv. And that's something I had never done before. I'd never had an improv lesson. I'd never really had a how do you accompany an improv troupe lesson. And I remember showing up to this rehearsal with the gestures with my piano. And I was so nervous. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I, I, I was... I was so blown away that I was even in association with this troupe and with these performers and with the owner. I mean, I remember um, me and the owner, uh, Jeff Rawls, went, went to lunch that first day and I'm like, I'm going to lunch with the owner. of, Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, it, it was like meeting, you know, your childhood celebrity or, you know, whatever. And so I went and I did a couple of rehearsals with them. I was so unprepared and so unequipped at that time to really be an asset, but um, it sort of started the the introduction to me in improv. But I was, again, I was getting to my late 20s. I was probably 26, 27 years old at that time. And at that point in my life, I had never really done any official acting. I, I did like a l small, small bit of acting in high school. I did like, I was in one play, um, not a lead or anything. And then I did one sort of like um, acting competition with a buddy of mine, a close friend, uh, Albert Wolf. We did like a duo acting piece and whatever sort of mask and gavel, uh, whatever, but Again, I, I never had anybody going like, hey, Paul, hey, you should really be pursuing this. You have talent. You're nothing. I didn't, I never had that. And again, my main focus was music. A lot of the times, the reasons I didn't do acting in high school was because I was in the band all the time. I was in the marching band. I was on the drum line. And I didn't do any of the musicals because when they would do the musicals, I would be in the pit uh, playing drums. So... You know, I was never on stage as a performer. And now with gestures, it's the same thing. I'm sort of using music as a side gate to get into the troupe. But somewhere in the back of my mind, I, I really wanted to be the performer. I just never had the courage. 
um, to give myself the permission to do that. So anyway, so I, I start playing piano for the gestures. We do two or three rehearsals. It never really makes it to a performance. Uh, the actors at that time weren't really comfortable with doing music improv, and I wasn't really comfortable enough to like make them comfortable because <laughs> you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about improv. So it was shortly after that where the owner of the gestures um, saw something in me and uh, called me up or had his assistant call me up and just said, hey, we think you'd be a good fit for improv classes. Have you ever taken an improv class? And there was something about that. I was so unsure of myself, so insecure. It's like I needed somebody else to give me permission to try. I didn't have the, you know, the inner courage, the inner confidence. I just didn't have that. I I was so insecure. I needed so much validation. So the fact that I was being invited to even just take improv classes was so necessary for me for where I was at. And so I did. So I signed up and took Improv 101 over at Jester's. And it was in those classes, in those environment, when I really started to study the art of improv that I really started to understand um, how how much this resonated with who I am as an artist, as a performer, as a creative. And I excelled very quickly in the classes. Improv came very naturally to me. It was very consistent with how I operated anyway. Um, I had in essence been improvising since the fourth grade. I just didn't know it. And now I actually had guidance and a teacher who understood improv and could teach me improv and um, put structure around um, the principles of improv and, you know, provide a stage and provide performance opportunities and rehearsal opportunities. Uh, excuse me. Trying to get through the whole podcast without coughing. I did pretty good. So, um, after I think six months of classes with Jesters, I got invited to join the main troupe and to start performing on the main stage, which was such a monumental um, honor for me to be like, wow. I'm actually good at something. <laughs> you know, I'm talented at this. And and I knew I was. Like I I it's like I know I'm good at this. And I and I don't think I'm just good at it. I feel like I'm really good at this performance style. And that introduction into the troupe led to about 7 a seven-year stint um, as a jester, performing on a regular basis 
I started doing corporate shows for them. I started uh, teaching classes for them. I or I started doing music improv with them. So now that I understood improv, I felt a lot more comfortable now on the music side, which I had tried to establish just on the music side without knowing any improv, you know, before, which is interesting. And then we started doing music improv um, uh, skits at Jester's. And all this time that I'm doing improv, I knew that there was this thing called stand-up comedy. <laughs> ah, da, 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 da. And stand-up comedy is a whole other beast. And, um, you know, I think what I'll do is I'll break this up into a couple parts. This has been going a little long, so we're about 25 minutes. I try to cap these out about 20 minutes. So, I think that what I would, the voice that I would like to put out to anybody in this podcast is, if you feel you have a gift and nobody's ever given you permission and you have that insecurity or, you know, you know that there's just something that's calling to you, but you've never receive the invitation or whatever, but, but man, it calls to you. And I don't know what that is because Lord knows there's a million different things that can call to somebody so many different passions and interests. I would love to give you the permission to go for it. And it's never too late. I didn't start improvising until I was 28. I didn't start doing stand up until I was 34 I didn't really start acting until I moved to L.A. around 35, 36. I didn't really book a commercial until I think I booked my first commercial when I was maybe 36 in L.A. You know, I booked a couple plays. I did a Shakespeare play. I did all of that stuff. And I had never done any of that. So improv at 28, stand up at 34, did a Shakespeare play, I think, at 36, 37 years old. Um didn't get an agent until I was almost like a bona fide agent until I was almost 40 and got my first commercial with an agent when I was 40, 41 years old. Um, and it just, it took me a lot longer to give myself the permission to be who I wanted to be and to follow my dreams and to, um, to stop waiting for somebody else to validate what my dreams are. And I'm grateful that Jeff Rawls did when I was 28, because had he not done that, who knows how much longer it would have taken before somebody else came around and gave me permission to um, pursue my passions and my dreams. So I will give you the second half, uh, a little bit more detail um, about how I got into stand-up and about how I moved to L.A. because those are all very compelling stories in my life and I hope that they will provide a little bit of inspiration. But again, if you're looking for somebody to give you permission to go out and pursue your dreams, I permit you <laughs> for what, whatever that means. Um, go for it if it's calling if it's calling to you. Go and do it and don't wait for anybody else to to give you permission and I just want to be an encouraging voice out there again in a sea of negativity that if it's in your heart 
and it's calling to you, then answer the call and go and see what happens. I can't make any guarantees. I'm not going to tell you how it's going to go. That's not my place, but I will tell you me going for it, even though, you know, I, even with everything that's happened, I, you know, I haven't quote unquote made it, but man, I would never change. I would never trade going on this journey for anything. So go for it. You have my permission. You have my encouragement. All right, everybody. I will pick up uh, tomorrow about how I got into stand-up and how I ended up in L.A. as we dive into the origin stories of Paul Green. And I love you all so much. Thank you for listening. This is the Paul Green Comedy Podcast, January 11th, 2024, episode 43. Again, I love you so much. I will talk to you tomorrow.